Right, the show we are about to see, by the way, has just come down from Sydney, and this is the tenor um, that we'll be seeing tonight. Uh, tonight, so used to seeing it. We're, we're in the morning session today. Nissendorf, even I know that one. Pavarotti. Is Pavarotti going to be there tonight? No. Dead joke. Okay, you can chop it. Um, yeah, okay, so I've recorded this at, what time is it? 9.52 a.m. And, uh, and the, the, I'm just going into the car park at the Art Centre. Um, the bit of this episode that's coming up now, uh, was recorded earlier today when I was, um, taking daughter number two, uh, to Mud and Grime. Okay, we'll go back go back a couple of hours here. We haven't lost that instinct, you know. I know we're in the era and the age of compassion, but, um, uh, but, you know, we, we love it. Um, and, um, and we do that with cricket too and every other sport just about um and when you're throwing down those stumps the ancient instincts kick in what you're actually trying to do you know deep down and this is why we have sport maybe you know just to stop us stop us killing you know just to satisfy the bloodlust you know and um you actually want to throw that cricket ball and kill that guy, you know, that batsman. You're killing the batsman, you know, because if that death rattle happens, you know, that's what they call it, the death rattle, uh, when 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 the stumps go down. Uh, it's the death of the batsman. Um, so what happens is something kicks in in your psychology as you're throwing that cricket ball and all your focus is on those stumps. We've managed to move the focus off the human, the batsman, and onto the stumps, but it's the same idea. And bang, got him. Yes. It's going to be hard to knock that out of our psyche, all of that. Um, okay, so back to physics. Um, we evolved to do a lot of this stuff naturally. You know, when we wanted to throw a spear and put it right through somebody's heart, um, over a long period of time, um, in our heads, um, we developed very good instincts um, for, uh, you know, um, we had a Cartesian plane in our head, you know, we we had all vectors and scalars in our heads, you know. We had maps in our heads, and we got good at this stuff, you know. And instinctively, we go, you know. And from a long distance, we could put a spear through someone's heart. And um, and what we were doing in our heads is angles, you know, and um, and uh, and speed. And getting it just right, you know, really amazing. We had physics in our head. We've evolved to have that. Now, hugely controversially, do males have that more than females? Look, all I can, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, um, 
I'm not frightened of controversy. Um, controversy. <laughs> Sometimes I forget how I talk. <laughs> I say controversy. Um, um, I'm not frightened of controversy. <laughs> um, but I do recall we don't have um, Melways anymore. You know, street street directories. Uh, you know, paper street directories. But I do remember that and you can test this yourself and I don't know whether this goes back to caveman days when males more often had had the job of trying to put spears through hearts you know of humans and beasts alike and males more often I think as far as I know you know because uh, women had to do the baby thing and all that sort of stuff back at the cave uh, men had to um, have a GPS in their head as they roamed the um the countrysides the you know the savannas and all that sort of stuff um and then had to find their way home again i think they the men developed more of a gps in their heads now i have no idea whether there's any scientific anthropological basis for all of that but all i know is oh look that i'm probably not right there because um women cricketers can be deadly accurate too yeah, see, that's interesting. All right, there's one for you to work out. You know, it depends whether you're a feminist or not, you know, or whether you're a um, a person who say says that, you know, the biology doesn't matter. Um, I'm each way, you know. I'll bat from both ends on that one, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> and um, I'll leave you, you lot to scream at each other about that one. People like to scream at each other about that sort of stuff. I just like to um, explore it, you know. But... Um, you know, I do remember with the Melways that, and I may be wrong, that instinctively women tended to turn the Melways around upside down so that the road on the, you know, the road as drawn on the map was pointing the way they were going. So they would be twisting and turning the, um, the, the actual book, the physical book, you know, turning it around so that they could see which direction they're going. And males, you know, myself, for example, um, I would just have it sitting there. And even though I was sort of going forward and, um, but the map was showing, you know, that, you know, I was, I was going down the page on the map, but physically I was going forward in my car. If I had a right turn, I wouldn't get confused. You know, I could see it's right turn there, it's right turn in front of me, you know, even though, it was in different directions as you look at the map. I was going, you know, out that door and um, and the map was going out that door. You know, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Are there differences between men and women? Who cares? Because this is physics. This is an episode on physics. Couldn't care less. You know, I don't care about all that stuff in a physics episode. Okay. Um, what the hell was I talking about? Oh, look, I was right at the start, I was talking about um, the sorts of physics problems I liked the best. Uh, I'm going to put all this little spiel at the end of this episode back to the start of the episode. <laughs> because you won't know what I was getting to by the time I'm finished this episode because I've just um, done a stream of consciousness episode like days of old before I started doing these physics episodes. You know, back early in this podcast, I would just um, press record and just start talking without even... Do you know I have disengaged the brain for the last 10 minutes? 
Uh, there's something to be said for that. You know, I think you reach into your subconscious when you're doing that, and I think I've just done it. I've, I've, I've just achieved a certain zen as I sit here in the car and reached into my subconscious. I think my subconscious is talking right now rather than my conscious. Now, isn't that interesting? I don't know whether it's true or not, but I don't want to stop. I've got to keep talking here because um, I think I have. Now, um, what I was talking about earlier, now this is interesting, you know, because can you overthink things, you know, and this is the problem with essays and all that sort of stuff. When you're overthinking and you're too conscious of what you're saying, um, does it come out differently you know, when you're speaking like this, if you do disengage the brain and stop thinking and just let it come, flow, you know, let it flow, stream of consciousness. There was a guy in the 60s, I can't remember his name, he got into this, you know, and uh, he, he used to, I really can't remember his name, and if I tried to remember, I'd lose my stream of consciousness, so I'm not going to try. Now, um, so my subconscious is talking to you right now, and right at the, uh, you know, it's a sort of a blend between the subconscious and the conscious, I'm sure, because I remember something now, and I remember at the start of the episode, I was talking about my favorite uh, physics problems and one was projectile motion and that's what's got this whole spear going about putting spears people through people's hearts you know and loving killing indigenous people for example and indigenous people loving killing Europeans now that is really uh, uh, a bad message to send on a humanitarian level you know you're not allowed to say that however this is a physics episode and it's also a stream of consciousness and am I wrong but is there something good about it on a physics and um, sort of instinctive level, you know? Like, is there something good about throwing down the stumps from the outfield? And is there a surge of joy that you get when you do throw those... I got interrupted. Uh, Your mother rang me, wondering where I was. I'm parked outside because I was driving home from Sunbury. I'm glad I... uh, I'm glad I got interrupted. I was working my way. I, I I I was getting worked up there you know, intellectually. (laughs) I was on a roll. I don't know when I would have stopped. (laughs) I was going to talk about... Oh, dear. I could have kept going. That was enjoyable, actually. It really was enjoyable. It's almost like meditating, you know. Yeah, I'm going to try and do that even faster one day. Just talk, you know, whatever comes to my head and really let my eyes roll back in my head (laughs) and just speak, you know. Um... Yeah, and I'm glad I got stopped, you know, because I could have got very, um, I could have reached into the dark heart of humans there. Um, I do suspect I was about to say, in fact, I know I was, I was about to say that as much as, um, you know, killing is bad, right? Killing is bad. You know, you shouldn't kill people, you know? Um... You know, it's bad for the English to go and kill natives and all that sort of stuff. As much as I, you know, I, intellectually, you know, my my moral conscious mind absolutely thinks all of that sort of stuff. When I switched my brain off before and I let my subconscious run free, I know that I was about to say, um, I was about to come out with, and you tell me I'm wrong. You were listening to me ranting just then. I'll bet you my subconscious was about to say, now I'm just imagining lining up an, an Aborigine from, you know, um, 200 metres with my 22 and getting him through the heart and feeling a surge of joy. All right, I've got to go now. Hello? No, no, turn it off, hang on. Just ignore me for a second, Scarlet.
No, I'm recording, so shh. Right, now, um, that was, I was interrupted again then. Um, I've given all fake names, Scarlet, on my podcast, so you just stay there. That's the thing. Could you roll your eyes any harder? Now, uh, <laughs> alright, so I was interrupted then, and I was, um, as, as usual, and okay, so I was talking about something, forget about all that. Now I'm on my way. Scarlet, I'm talking to you when you're um, 35, when I'm dead, as you just said, uh, now, rather than you sitting right next to me, <laughs> and we're off to Turandot. Just uh, Now, what's going on here, because I, uh, early this morning, 5.30, got up, took my, took Harley, that's what I'm calling her, I took, <laughs> I took Harley to Mud and Grime. Throwing four-wheel drives into great dirty big mud pits uh, with with uh, Uncle Tony. So Harley goes off and does mud and grime, and then uh, Scarlett, you here have a little tiara sort of arrangement in your hair, and we're off to the opera. Uh, could you have been born any more different? I don't think so. Josh. Not adopted. Wow, you nearly made me crash. That was a terrible thing to say. <laughs> She's gonna hear that now. <laughs> yeah. Alright. Now, um, so Turin Dot. Now, I didn't know what performance we were going to this morning. Uh, but uh, Scarlet here just advised me that it is what is called a patron's performance, Sarah. And, um, and it's opening night tomorrow at the State Theatre for Turandot. But once again, we go to something that they put on the day before, which is more than a dress rehearsal by the sound of it. It's something well after the dress rehearsals. And um, it's where somehow the, the cast, number one, has a trial run before the real thing the day before. But number two, um, all the people who are close to the performers and the production crew and all that sort of stuff come along and all the people who are uh, sponsoring the thing and all that sort of stuff. So um, Scarlett's nodding here and she knows more about all this stuff than I I do. Uh, we all live in different worlds, you know. Um, look, Harley lives in the world of throwing four-wheel drives into great big dirty mud pits and half-drowning herself and coming back with all her clothes muddy. Um, Scarlet here dresses up to the nines and goes to the opera on the same morning. And uh, me, oh look, I'm just the Uber guy. I'm just Uber Daddy. That'll do for this. <laughs> Another eye roll. That's not fair. That was funny. Wasn't that a good joke? A little bit funny. No, clearly not. Um, it's there's a law in the universe that fathers can't be funny. Let's have a few fragments that won't make any sense. Now what I'm getting at is that you, that which you are about to hear, I recorded 
before that which you just heard. Oh, it's all out of order. You know, I brought that last bit back to the start. Oh, don't worry. Yeah, look, they'll all be out of context. These fragments coming up. Uh, because I had a lot going on today. And uh, I ended up chatting as I was travelling through my day and uh, different bits and pieces were happening all at once and I don't think I can untangle them all. Uh, so, um, uh, look, I know the next bit uh, refers to a four-wheel drive mud and grime um, expedition that daughter number two went on this morning. I know that much. And there was an opera involved. I think I might have already mentioned that. And, after, and there, there was a few other things going on today. Look, you'll find out. There are a few things going on in my head too. Yeah, there's always that. You're all part of the Ballarat Rednecks, you know. Um, great stuff. Um, and it just means going out bush and throwing the four-wheel drive into trenches full of mud and water, you know, and sometimes n them not coming out. Uh, just before I continue with these fragments, I'll just add another one here. Um, and it's this. Uh, in the following, coming up, I mentioned Turandot, the opera, because I happened to see it today with my, with my daughter, with my daughter. And, uh, and I, liked, I liked it. Uh, but ha that's neither here nor there. That's not what I'm uh, on about here. Uh, there was a moment in there, and I didn't mention it in the uh, episode coming up, where I thought, oh, this is like a World War I situation developing here. Yeah, I just had that thought sort of pass through my head whilst I was watching it, and um, and it, it was a moment on the stage when things were getting complicated, and uh, and there was no one on the stage who had the power, you know, of decision making or whatever to stop blood from flowing, coming to pass, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, we had an all-powerful emperor on the stage and we had Turandot herself, which is a princess, the daughter of that emperor. Um, and these people should be powerful, yeah, but they're not really. They're just in charge, yeah. Um, yeah, they're like world leaders today. Not necessarily, well, they're in charge, but they don't necessarily have as much power as you think. You, know, you can, you can, uh, you can march along to the UN and demand that the world leaders take certain actions on climate change, for example. You can demand that all you like, but what if they haven't got the power to do those things that you think they have the power to do those things? You know, bad grammar, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah. Um, especially if you're young, yeah. 
like Greta Thunberg, who went to the UN, you know, I keep thinking she probably thinks those world leaders have more power than they have. Uh, but I, I chatted about uh, that in a previous episode, so I won't talk about that again. Um, but I was looking at the stage and I was thinking, wow, you've got an emperor there and a princess and you've got other people with all sorts of you know, power of leverage, you know. The mob were fairly powerless. In real life, the mob is often quite powerful as well. Um, in fact, I think world leaders are frightened of the mob still and always were and always will be. Even in ancient Sparta, you know, one of my favourite topics, the Spartans were scared of their own slaves. Yeah, that's, why the, that's one of the reasons why the Spartans became such great warriors, because they were frightened of their own slaves. Their own slaves outnumbered them seven to one. So they had to become a warrior race, not only due to external threats, but just because all of those slaves could rise up any minute and if they weren't strong, bang, gone, you know, um, power. Um, but I, I just had that fleeting thought go through my mind as I was watching Turandot that this is getting complicated. No one's got, any, no one's got the power to stop blood here. Someone's got to die. Someone did die soon after. There was no, there was no way out of it. Someone had to. I won't give away the plot for anyone out there like me who didn't know the plot or who doesn't know the plot. And, you know, I didn't know the plot before I went in. I I make no apologies for being a Philistine. You know, I'm very cultured in other ways. (laughs) Just joking. Not joking. Joking. Right. Um, So, and that reminded me of World War One. You know, we had world leaders there. Um, And... uh, the whole thing was a tinderbox waiting for a spark, you know, and, and then an ostrich got shot and that was a spark and then World War One. you know what I mean? So um, what you've got there is, you know, you can imagine a Greta Thunberg type going back, being around before World War One, and going to, you know, the world leaders of the time and saying, I can see war coming. Make decisions to stop that, you know. This is a fragment, by the way. Uh, this is not what the episode's about. It's just a fragment that just popped into my head. Um, do something, you know. A Greta Thunberg of, you know, 1905. You know? Not on climate, but on, you know, uh, war is bad, you know. Saying, do something to the world leaders. The world leaders weren't in control. It was all getting out of control. And... It was getting more and more complicated and more and more out of control. You know, that's the way it was going before World War One. This is just a fragment. I'll leave it at that. Back to other fragments now. And and blowing up Frenchies. You know, that's the way I liked it. You know, I was on um, I was on Lord Nelson's ship. And I used to like sort of trying to figure out now at what angle do I have to put the cannon? And um, yeah, and, and that's where with those sorts of problems, projectile motion, um, you have, you know, you, you, the angle matters. Everyone knows this as far as, you know, have you ever played cricket and you had to throw a ball back to the, back to the stumps from the outfield? Well, you know, you, uh, instinctively you're figuring out what, what is the best angle, you know? Do you want to lob it? Or do you want to send it fast and low? 
you know what I mean? Um, so, with cannonballs, um, you know, you can get to the stumps from the outfield, throwing a cricket ball by lobbing it high, um, or, you know, throwing it in fast and low. You know, you'll still get to the stumps, so there's more than one way to get to those stumps, and it's all about getting the angle right. And the velocity right. Now that's interesting, because when I said velocity, I didn't mean speed. You know, um, it's about angle, which determines you know the direction, I suppose. You know, whether you're going to throw it high or low. All right. So as soon as oh, it's about the angle and the speed of the cricket ball, isn't it? What angle? On what speed? Um, look, the direction matters too because you need to hit the stumps. Ah, yes, you know what I'm getting at with all of that. Uh, projectile motion. When you're out on the ocean, I'm a rapper. <laughs> huh? Yeah, projectile motion, whether it's a cricket ball or a cannonball. You know, I'm getting at the most important things about a projectile as, as, as it is in motion, in terms of determining where it's going to end up, whether that be uh, right in the guts of a Frenchie or um, on the stumps. Okay. Uh, projectile motion, there's two things that are important about projectile motion, and that is you know, the speed at which the projectile is going and the direction in which it's heading. It seems too simple. Speed and direction, you know. That's what we need to know about um, projectiles to know whether um, they're going to land where they're supposed to and in this sense, um, I, I feel we've got a really good computer in our heads. We've got physics in our heads. We're all physicists um, and very good physicists. We're wonderful machines, we humans, when you combine our, uh, our brains, our eyes and our muscles and all that, you know, and our, our skeletons, you know, which our muscles use for leverage. When you combine all that stuff, we're great physicists, natural physicists because... You know, it's, it's actually amazing when you think about it. Try and invent a, invent a machine that can throw a cricket ball while it's hurtling along the boundary line um, and hit stumps. You know, you can only see one stump, you know, your, your, your square of the wicket. And, um, and you've got one, punt, one stump to, uh, to aim for and, and you've got a fairly good chance of hitting it if you're a good cricketer. I'm not. You know, I'd miss it. Um, but, you know, there's plenty of people who can and, um, and, you know, get it fairly often. And now we've got physics in our heads. Um, and the, the, the formulas that the human body uh, are calculating are amazing to, you know, let rip with a low, fast ball from the boundary line and run a guy out, or a woman. Yeah, the uh, women's cricket is getting big. Now, uh, I like women's cricket. Um, it's, a, it's a 
a very good competition. You know, cricket um, it works better than the AFLW, than the women's football, I think, you know. Um, but uh, uh, time will tell. Now, um, now uh, so, yes, we're doing physics in our head. And the two things that matter about a projectile... Projectile motion is huge in physics. It's a big deal. You know, a lot, of, a lot of time is spent on it. The two sort of, probably the first two, the two first, the first two most important things are what that you need to know about a projectile is how fast is it going and in what direction is it heading. Now, this seems too simple, uh, but they're very important things. What is the speed of the thing? And what direction is it heading in? Now, when you combine those two things, the speed of the cricket ball and the direction in which it's heading, those two things combine, there's a word for it, and that's, that word is velocity. Velocity and speed are not the same thing. Speed is how fast the thing's going. Velocity is how fast it's going combined with what direction it's heading in. You know, um... You have to have both or it's not velocity. You need both. You know, I know lazily people use velocity often to just describe how fast they're going. That's not right. It matters in which direction you're going when it comes to velocity. If someone's going to say, oh, my velocity is 100 kilometres per hour, you, know, you have to sort of say to them, you haven't given me enough information for me to be satisfied as to what your velocity is, you know, 100 kilometres an hour, in what direction, please? And then they have to say, you know, north. You know, then, all right, I'm happy now. Far out. You know, you just gave me a, the, the, uh, the speed before. I need the velocity. If you're going to tell me it's velocity, give me the direction, north. <laughs> 100 kilometres an hour to north. Okay, that's velocity. And uh, the reason velocity is really important, much more important than speed usually, is because it matters. Uh, when you're trying to throw down the stumps or kill a Frenchie, you know, um, or spear, uh, spear an Englishman, you know, from 100 yards. Okay. Um, very, but velocity is usually more important than speed. Speed doesn't tell you anything much, you know. Um, yeah, doesn't matter. You know, if you throw a ball at 80 kilometres per hour... Um, that's really not going to tell me anything about whether it's going to hit the stumps or not. You could be throwing it in a direction opposite to the stumps. You know, you could be throwing it up, up into the stands, you know, and, um, and you could knock out Alan Border sitting up there in the stands, you know, commentating. Okay? Right. Now, so that's velocity. Now, given that um, velocity does have speed and direction, you know, um, two components, if you like. When we are thinking about velocity, we think of it as an arrow. And the length of the arrow um, is the speed. You know, we represent that. You know, if you were drawing it on a piece of paper, the best way to represent velocity is using an arrow. You draw an arrow on the page and... Um, the length of the arrow, the stick, you know, is the speed. And the direction in which the arrow is heading, you know, 
is, well, <laughs> is the direction in which... <laughs> Sorry, the projectile, you know, the projectile. The the direction in which the projectile is heading is, you know, where the arrow head is pointing. Now, the arrow as a whole, which is the, you know, the length of the arrow plus the, you know, the little arrow head at the end of it, the whole thing is called a vector. We have a word for it. It's called a vector. Yeah. We don't call it an arrow. We could call it an arrow, but we call it a vector, okay? And um, velocity is a vector, you know, velocity is a vector because it's got um, speed, uh, you know, it's got a, 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 an amount, a value, you know, a length, and it's also got an arrowhead. <laughs> it tells you we know the direction and the value of the thing. So it's called a vector. To be a vector, you have to have, a, you know, a magnitude, you know, 80 kilometres per hour, and a direction, you know, due west, um, 15 degrees to the horizontal, a low fastball, you know. Um, that's a vector. Um, so the length of the arrow, or the, the length of the vector, is uh, an amount, you know, how fast it's going speed-wise. That's called a scalar. So we've got two new words here. No, they're probably old words for you because you already do physics. Um, but uh, velocity is a com is a a vector, and speed is a scalar. Speed is just the amount of pace the thing has, eighty kilometers an hour. That's a scalar scale. You know the scale of the thing, scalar, and um, and velocity is a vector because it's the scalar. You know the speed of the thing, the pace, the eighty kilometers per hour, plus. The arrowhead. Let's get back to something else. Let's get back to another fragment. Aha. I'm, I should mention before we do go on to another fragment that there are other important things uh, that we need to sort of know and calculate about that projectile. The instant it leaves our hand or our cannon, you know. Look, in the first instance, instance, the vector, that is the velocity, is really important, is all important, right? That's all that matters. As in the instant that it leaves your hand, the cricket ball, the, the thing that matters at that point is the speed of the thing and the direction in which it's heading, you know. That's the velocity. Now, the instant it leaves your hand, um, there are other things that come into play that matter. And um, the thing that matters as soon as the cricket ball leaves your hand are the forces acting on the ball from that moment onwards. And two obvious forces are wind resistance, you know, or air resistance and wind force you know placing forces on the ball um, and the another one is gravity you know the force of gravity okay and um, we are such supercomputers we take that into account as we're throwing the ball because we know you know we, you know, we can even get a feel for the wind yeah I don't even know if a computer could be um, built that could do that 
what we can do. You know, maybe eventually. All right. So, we look, when we're throwing a ball from the outfield, um, we are thinking about what speed we need to throw the ball at and what direction we need to throw it in. Um, but we're also taking into account, you know, that's, that's the bit where we sort of hurtle the ball, you know, throw it. Um, but we're throwing it, as we, even as we're throwing it, we are also making calculations um, about what the forces are going to be on that ball after we let it go. We're taking, we're doing a lot of calculating there, and um, we, you know, we could pull all that together in another episode. Um, the the velocity of the ball as it leaves our hand, and the forces on that ball after that point, all the way until the ball hits the stumps. You know. And you could be drawing arrows and, you know, diagrams and everything all for that whole journey. And I, I really enjoy doing, I used to enjoy doing that at school, you know, um, draw, you know, drawing the ball midair after it left the, the fielder's hand. And um, you, you start drawing vectors on the ball, um, an arrowhead on the ball, an arrow on the ball. There's a, a force vector you know, um, the force vector, vector, um, of, you know, the f- gravity is exerting a force, which is a vector, a force on the ball that is pointing directly downwards, gravity, the force of gravity. So what you do is you draw, uh, a, um, you can draw, you know, using a blue pen, Um, force pointing directly downwards. So you draw an arrow pointing downwards from the ball, you know, and then you've got air resistance, you know, friction um, or resistance, and that is acting in exactly the opposite direction, in the direction exactly opposite to the direction in which the ball is heading, always, you know. Whether it's friction or air resistance or whatever, that is always um, pointing in the a direction opposite to the direction in which the ball is heading. So another blue arrow pointing exactly backwards. Air resistance, you know. Um, so these are the you know you can start drawing force diagrams, um, but then you've got another. Uh, then you get your red pen out, you know, reserve red for velocity and you draw an arrow pointing forward in the direction that the ball is heading and you know you do that in a different color so that you can't mix up your forces and your velocities you know but they're all vectors you know and there's all sorts of arrows pointing just keep that in your mind um if you ever if you ever wanted to play around with projectile motion and what is actually happening to a cricket ball as you throw it and as you, as it leaves your hand and as it flies through the air, a really good way to do that is to just draw the ball in the air and start drawing arrows all over it, you know. Let's not get too technical yet. And can I just say that good cricketers, even if they don't know physics in terms of doing all the calculations on paper, they're doing all that in their head. In their head, they're drawing all those arrows super fast. Oh, 
the human mind is a supercomputer. I can't even, you know, it blows my mind what the human mind can do on that front. Okay, now we can get back to the next fragment. I just wanted to mention all those arrows that we play with in physics. These vectors, we love vectors. We love drawing arrows all over things. Those arrows tell us what's happening to, for example, a cricket ball as it flies through the air. Back to the fragments. And yes, world leaders could do more, at least, surely. The argument might go. But even then, maybe not. I'm no expert on geopolitics. Uh, If you need an expert on geopolitics uh, who would know that even if world leaders did 5% more, that would definitely make the world a better place. You'll you'll find plenty of those experts on Twitter. Oh, all right, yes, I agree, that's a cop-out. The world leaders could do 5% more. But, uh, oh, but in which direction? Uh, Should they go 5% more conservative? Or 5% more the other way? I don't even know what the other way is. Uh, The opposite of conservative is not liberal. By the way, necessarily. Um, As I've mentioned many times, the Conservative Party in Australia is the Liberal Party. It gets very complicated, you know, like to and not. It was just like a wick, you know, you know, boom, you know. And um, a, a kind of musket ball had come out and you try and kill a, an, an Aborigine, you know what I mean? And whereas the Aborigines had um, uh, spears and could be a lot more accurate. And um, percentage-wise, the English, we English, did not have as big an advantage as we had soon after as, you know, guns started to... Uh, the quality of guns started to skyrocket, you know. But very early on... Um, you know, if you had muskets versus spears, well, you know, that was a fairly even battle, from what I've heard. Uh, the muskets were just a bit hit and miss. One of Nelson's ships, you know, I would have liked to be the cannon guy. And, uh, and, uh, fire, you know, psh- <laughs> you have to wait. Did they, did they, was it the wick or did they have a big stick? <laughs> yeah, where they just put the stick in and go boom, you know. That was a bit rough as guts as well, you know. Trying to shoot people in the old days was a bit rough as guts. So Tony goes off four wheel drive bush bashing. 
right now. He's just taken off. I'm heading back to um, Essendon now, Scarlett, to pick you up. Um, Tony goes off and, you know, he's rough as guts on the outside. But he, that, that vehicle of his is uh, beautifully prepared. He's got all the equipment on it, you know, jacks on the roof and three spare tyres on the roof and um, everything strapped down properly and all that sort of stuff. He is able to rough it properly because he knows how to prepare. Two sets of uh, musketeers. Um lined up against each other, it was just bloody, you know, pow, bang, ah, ah, blew up in my face, you know, the whole bloody gun exploded, now I've got no face, you know, it was really rough as guts, it got a lot neater later, you know, got nice neat little 22s that could pick out, pick off an 80 from anywhere, you know. Right, Scarlett has been uh, telling me about Turandosh, which is a show we're just about to go and see. Uh, we're travelling along uh, the Balti Bridge, and uh, she knows more about these things than I do, uh, which is wrong, because yeah, she's a child. But anyway, she's told me, and she's only given me a snippet because she doesn't want to spoil the story for me. But uh, Turandot uh, is a, a princess, and... Uh, and, oh, first of all, the opera is in three parts. And that's interesting to me. I haven't seen Turandot before. And uh, so there's two intervals. And Scarlet here, because that's my fake name for her, uh, suggests to me that having two intervals might have been a good idea so that people could uh, discuss the morals, you know, their opinions on the morals of the play in between the, the parts, you know, and who thinks what. Now, we can't do that anymore. We just scream at each other. Actually, people get on Facebook and just scream at, at their morals at each other now. But, you know, it sounds like this is a little bit more civilised where you could actually discuss them at interval and then go back in the opera without having killed each other or sliced each other's heads off on Facebook. Now, um, she tells me this is the, uh, the, the plot. She's given me a hint at the plot. And it goes something like this. There's a princess and... Um, she is inviting suitors and um, she gives the suitors three riddles and if they can't answer them she chops their heads off you know so that that sounds to me a lot like um, some spiders in the animal kingdom who bite the heads off their husbands you know something like that you know so maybe we're reaching into deep nature here um, in the form of an opera, who knows? This is what they probably chatted about at interval. Anyway, um, so she gives them three riddles. And, you know, look, she's looking for a mate by the sound of it. She doesn't want someone stupid, you know? And when we go out looking for a mate, yeah, you don't want a loser, you know, unless you're actively looking for a loser, I've known a few. Um, but usually people look for winners. Um, because, you know, that's a good idea for about 17 different reasons. Anyway, Turandot's clearly looking for a winner and uh, she gives them a riddle and she, it seems like she slices their heads off, chops their heads off herself. Lovely. Yeah. Look, we've all become a little bit modern, you know, and a little bit sensitive, you know. 
Uh, but this sounds a little bit exciting to me. She chops their heads off. Now, the, the only hint she's given to me about the plot is this. One suitor in particular sees another suitor fail the riddle test and sees Turandot step up and chop his head off. And he falls instantly in love. Oh, that's such a beautiful story. Uh, now, I can't tell you anymore because that's all I know. She won't give me anymore. She said anymore will spoil the story. And, and, and Julius Caesar or Alexander could have matched it, you know, made life difficult for armies all the way up to maybe 1800, which is amazing, really, you know, not much. Yeah, that's amazing. But after 1800, it gets ridiculous. Um, you know, Julius Caesar uh, couldn't go up against the modern American um, uh, sort of armed forces. Uh, because the American modern armed forces would just send an F-16 in and, you know, you know, and just um, incinerate the entire army of Julius Caesar or Alexander in one, you know, with one aeroplane, you know. Look, this is what it's all about. But let's get back quickly now. I don't do anything quickly. Um, to projectile motion, yes. But then there's the horizontal direction, you know, like a compass, you know, due west. The stumps are due west, got to throw it due west, you know. So a little bit up and a little bit west, you know. More west than up because we're going to throw this thing in low and fast, you know. So 15 degrees to the horizontal, so, you know. You're doing all these calculations as you're throwing the cricket ball, just like... If I was on Lord Nelson's ship and I was, you know, I had the little the little sort of lever thing on the cannon and I'm ratcheting up the uh, the cannon, you know, and then turning it slightly because I can see the Frenchies. I can see the whites of their eyes, you know, the Frenchies. And, um, and, um, and the same as, you know, someone with a musket gun lining up an Aborigine, you know, and the same as the Aborigine with his spear mm, lining up that 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 ghost guy you know who's got that stupid sort of uh, big bang thing um i've got to kill that guy you know with his spear i'm gonna kill that guy you know and um everybody's lining up everybody it's war all around you know um i want to kill a frenchie you know and the indigenous bloke wants to kill that euro and the european wants to kill that aborigine you know and uh and and so on everybody went and well look sport is better isn't it because i want to kill that batsman but the only way to kill him is to hit the stumps you know so it's kind of slightly detached but i've still got that instinct i've got that killer instinct i'm gonna hit those stumps. and do you know exactly with the same killer instinct that let's say an indigenous bloke wants to put this 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 i don't swear on this this spear through the guts of that englishman you know every fiber in his being wants to kill that guy you know i want to see this go right through his chest and i want to see that spear coming out the other side oh that would be great i'd love it i'm just going to report a little bit we're at the second interval um this is a complete departure from what i normally do with these episodes but i'm loving this opera I haven't seen it before. Uh, okay, now I texted my goddaughter after at the first interval. Where is it? We are at first interval. It's blowing my mind. I've changed my mind. I'm converted.
utter violence and utter beauty all at the same time. A beautiful princess of death. A prince saw her have another prince's head off and has fallen in love or is just spellbound with her. She'll ki- she kills all her suitors. He can't resist that. She's perfectly unattainable. Is this about her or him? It's incredible. Okay, then I think I did this about five minutes later. There is another girl who loves this prince with all her heart. He's rejected her. It looks like she's going to kill herself or go away into exile, same difference. He's turned all his attention away from her to winning the deadly princess. I say it's all about him. He's cruel. His urge to prove himself to himself is cruel. Okay, that's that. Um, Now, once in a lifetime opportunity, um, in the second section, we got to, I got to hear the three riddles for the first time. You know, I'll never get to do that again because now I know the answers. Um, now, I got them all wrong, um, but I got the first one right in a way, but I can't prove it. Um, all right, the first one was, you know, something that, um, something that dies at dawn and comes alive again at, you know, at nightfall. And... I leaned over to Lauren and whispered dream, but I, I, it was too easy. And then I thought hope and then got that right. But I can't prove it, so that's out. But I did, you know, I did think it. You don't have to believe me, but I did. All right, this, the other two I got completely wrong. Uh, now, the second riddle was something to do with, you know, something that goes hot and cold and I guess courage. Um, and it turned out to be blood. Okay, okay, fair enough. And so, you know, and by this point I was having $2 bets with Lauren whispering, but I only wanted to have one whisper per riddle. Um, And the last one, that was good, you know, and it was, you know, ice that inflames. Ice that inflames. And I guessed hate. Um, And the answer was Turandot herself, the deadly princess. Oh, that was very interesting. Um, brilliant, brilliant. I like that. All right, so now I know the answer, so that's that. But it's still a fantastic show. Um, one line I remember from it, do I still, hang on, um, is um, uh, farewell love, dot, dot, dot. It was a bit in between. Uh, f- uh, farewell love, farewell uh, divine ancestry. Oh, I love that line. Yeah. And a little part of that reminded me of why uh, peasants like royalty. Uh, because on one level, royalty is an artistic representation of themselves. You know, there's that whole angle. You know, it's not all about, you know, Queen Elizabeth having power over us. She hasn't. You know, it's the royal family being an artistic representation of us, you know. And there. Uh, divine ancestry being an artistic representation of our own, you know, because we're all incredible. Everyone who's alive on the planet has a divine ancestry. Um, By some absolute um, miracle of statistics, every single one of us um, is descended from a long lineage that is millions of years old. That's incredible, you know, just on a statistical level. That's amazing. I won't pursue that. I could go on and on. I've got to get back into the show. Um, But that's where it all stands at the moment. Uh, Look, he guessed the three riddles. Okay, great. 
Um, and we're at second interval now. And um, he has given her a riddle back. And he, yeah, call it ego. Oh, Lauren in the second riddle guessed ego. Okay, we were both guessing. It was, there was $2 on it. Um, okay, um, so he has challenged her in return to guess his name because she doesn't know his name. And um, he has agreed to allow her to kill him anyway if she guesses his name. Her father, the emperor, hopes that she doesn't. Yeah, um, you know, she she symbolises the death of China at the moment, Turin Dot. You know, because China dies with her, the divine ancestry. Everything you know, love has been possible before her. Love is not possible before her. But then again, she's avenging someone she imagines herself to be descended from from a long time ago, who was hurt by men. I believe it's a long story. That's it. We'll get on to the episode proper now. But that was enjoyable for me. The old bow and arrow and the spears. I reckon the Huns, the Huns of old, back in, you know, the time of ancient Rome, uh, they were the experts, you know. They could ride backwards on their horses and ping, 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 shoot off arrows with compound bows and all this sort of stuff. Um... There was probably not much improvement to that system of warfare uh, all the way up to, you know, I'm talking ancient Rome, those guys could have matched it with anyone, all the way up to um, the time of the start of, you know, colonial Australia. I did end up texting my goddaughter uh, at the end of Turandot, you know, because we're out of that opera now, and uh, it was a short text. Went a little something like this. Uh, Hated how Turandot finished. Love one. Blech. I can spell that, by the way. Um, it had been building up to something great. Well, that was my take anyway, you know. I, I liked the peasant girl. Anyway, enough said about that. Uh, oh, one good thing I found out on the way home, I hadn't realised, but we were there for free. Ah, that was, that was a bonus. Yeah, that appealed to the Scotsman in me.